For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Earlier this year, Stephanie and I decided to take our daughters, Callie and Tori, on a vacation to Southern California. We flew into San Diego, and we enjoyed going to the San Diego Zoo and then to Universal Studios, and we went to the beach where we made lots of memories and had a wonderful time relaxing. But we had decided that we would fly back from L.A., and so we took Amtrak, the train, from San Diego to Los Angeles. We were about an hour into our ride. We were enjoying the beautiful scenery along the coast when the train suddenly stopped and it quickly became apparent that a young person had stepped in front of the train and taken his own life. You know, as a pastor, I've walked that valley of the shadow of death with far too many families and I still cannot grasp the depth of despair that someone must feel in those final moments here on earth. As I sat on the train that day, I just took time to reflect on how precious life really is and to think about how I long that everyone would know the unconditional love of God in their life. You know, as we come to the end of 2017 and our year of gratitude here at St. Luke's, I think it's so important that we just take time to remember and to give thanks for all the ways that God has taken care of us. You know, we live in a time and a place where most all of our basic needs are taken care of. Because of education and health care and travel and technology, I mean, we just don't have to worry about where our next meal is going to come from or where we're going to sleep tonight. But, you know, that's not the case for everyone in our world. There are so many in our city and literally around the world who truly do wonder where their next meal will come from. And I've just got to say thank you to you for your incredible spirit of generosity throughout this Christmas season. You have given of your time and your money. You have given meals and gifts to ensure that people know the hope and the love of Christ. But at the end of the year, you know, so many of us come through the holidays And we're not living in a spirit of joy and hope because it really has been a year of great highs and great lows, great joys 
and great challenges, the good and the hard that comes with living in this life. Many in our family of faith have lost loved ones this year. Others have celebrated the joy of a new birth or a new job. We've hurt together as we've walked through health crises or divorces. We've celebrated with one another through kids going off to college or getting married. We've seen families in our church struggle with finances or maybe changing of life stages, going into retirement. For ourselves and for our loved ones, the end of the year can feel like the best of times, but it can also feel like the worst of times. You know, New Year's Eve is meant to be a day of joy and celebration. But many of us come to this time of the year discouraged and worried and afraid of what lies ahead. Today, on this last day of 2017, I just want to bring a word of encouragement to you. A word that I believe is not just for me, but a word from God. That He will give you strength for today and hope for tomorrow. He offers that so that we might experience hope, that we might know His love for us, and that we can have a different perspective as we look forward to the future. Today's scripture lesson is taken from the book of Ephesians. This is a letter that Paul wrote, which was really an extended prayer for the church. And in his prayer, he was reminding the early Christians of their hope in the risen Christ and how they could experience hope and know God better. You know, Paul was writing this letter from prison And while most of us will never literally be in prison, it seems like so often we find ourselves trapped by our minds in the painful regrets or disappointments or failures of our past. And I believe that God wants us to hear the same message, an assurance of hope in the risen Christ, and to know that God is still in control. You know, whenever you're reading the scriptures, I really want to encourage you to pay attention to to little phrases that you find in this passage like, so that, or in order that. Because something is about to happen. We're about to find out something that God wants us to hear. When we're reading this passage from Ephesians, we might ask ourselves, why is it that God wants us to know hope, or to know Him better? And I believe He gives us the answer. It's because He wants us to experience that hope and to know Him better, that he gives us several gifts. And I want to speak about just three of those from this passage this morning. The first of of those is in verse 17. Paul writes that God would grant a spirit of wisdom so that we can know him better. Well, what is Paul talking about in a spirit of wisdom? A spirit of wisdom is one which guides us to make decisions with both our heads and with our hearts. When we pray for a spirit of wisdom, we're inviting God to to work through our thoughts and our feelings and our words and our actions so that our heads and our hearts might be united in making the right decisions. You know, I wonder if too often when we think about wisdom, we relegate the concept of wisdom to a, a rather unfortunate image in our own minds of an old, old man with a long beard, maybe sitting in a big chair, and speaking words that sound like gibberish. 
When in reality, God gives each and every one of us the ability to make decisions with our heads and our hearts so that we can do the right thing. You know, for the past several months, I've been driving down I-235, as many as you have, and I've been slowed down by the construction. But I've enjoyed watching this railroad bridge taking shape and all the trains that do go back and forth through our city. Have you noticed that trains today don't have cabooses? I mean, it's the strangest thing. But I have noticed that train after train has multiple engines connected one right after another. And while I'm sure there's some logical reason for this, I've also noticed that they're not always going in the same direction. That so often there are trains that are facing, the engines facing each other or facing away. You know, I was pausing to think about this, and I thought, you know, so often our hearts and our heads can feel like they're pushing against one another or pulling apart in the opposite direction. Has it ever occurred to you that sometimes the decision that makes no sense at all is the most compassionate one? Or the decision that is completely rational and logical does not seem or appear to be motivated by love? When we're faced with daily decisions in our lives, so often we struggle to figure out what is the wise thing, what is the right thing to do. The classic story in the Bible about wisdom is found in 1 Kings chapter 3. You may remember the story of King Solomon. Solomon went to God and he asked, quote, for a discerning heart and the ability to distinguish between right and wrong. I think that's the perfect definition of wisdom, a discerning heart and the ability to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. Well, subsequently, two women came before King Solomon in his court where he would act as a judge. These two women lived in the same house. They had both recently given birth to a son. And one night while they were sleeping, one of the women had rolled over and killed her own child. She awoke, and she took that child And she exchanged him for the other woman's child who was alive. And oh, you can imagine the chaos that ensued when they woke up. And so they came to King Solomon and they argued before him and asked him to to discern who should have this living child. Well, King Solomon, having received wisdom from God, pondered their situation and then he made a remarkable call. He said, bring me my sword. We will cut this baby in half and give half to each woman. Now you can imagine the shock of everyone in the court. What is King Solomon thinking? But immediately, the woman whose child was still alive cried out, No, please give this child to the other woman. And the other woman said, Well, if, if neither of us can have him, then go ahead, cut him in half oh my goodness. You can imagine how everyone was shocked and surprised. But King Solomon said, give the baby to this first woman. Clearly it belongs to her. Because he was able to use both a sharp mind, but also a loving heart to render a just verdict. You know, spirit of wisdom guides each one of us to look at both our past and our present and even our future with a discerning heart and the ability 
to distinguish between what is right or wrong. Why? So that we don't have to worry or be afraid of the future. We don't have to be concerned because we can trust God to guide our hearts and minds to do the right thing. Secondly, Paul prays for a spirit of revelation so that we might know God better and that we'll come to understand the character and nature of God. You know, so often in the context of the church, when we hear about revelation, our minds quickly go to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. This is a very important book in our Christian story. But when we're reading it, so often we can be confused or even afraid. It's full of mystery and wonder and shock. It's an important book, but so often we don't fully understand it. But the reality is that you and I understand what revelation is because it's actually quite familiar in our culture. One of the events that we all enjoy participating in or hearing about is the reveal party of a a young couple welcoming their first child. Maybe you've experienced one of these, or you've heard about some of the creative ways that couples tell everyone, is it a boy or is it a girl? They may have a pink cake or blue balloons, or maybe there's a special package that they open. And the anticipation of that reveal creates such joy among family and friends. And then when they find out it's a boy or it's a girl... Well, then they start to decorate the nursery and pick out new clothes, and they start to dream about their hopes and futures for a ballerina or a baseball player. You know, one of my favorites is a video I saw online of a reveal party where this young couple, obviously their first, opened a box, and out came a pink balloon. And a moment later, out came a blue balloon, and they realized, oh my goodness, we're having twins. What an incredible gift. A child is the greatest gift the world's ever known. You know, as Christians, we have just celebrated the greatest revelation of all time. When we look to the the birth of the child born in Bethlehem, we see that God revealed his nature and his character to us. It was God's way of explaining to us who God is. And in Jesus' life, and in his death, and in his resurrection, we see more about God's mercy, and God's love, God's sacrifice, and God's grace. And this revelation, it inspires and motivates our lives to live in the example of Jesus. You know, when we read the Bible, we see so many examples of how Jesus treated other people. We see Jesus with the little children, and it encourages us to educate the children and to bless the children. Or when we see Jesus with the woman at the well, it motivates us to to reach out in care and concern for people in our world who are living in difficult circumstances. In raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus reminded us that death is not the end, that we can experience new life in Christ here and now, And life eternal. And even on the cross, Jesus looked to the person hanging next to him and offered forgiveness and grace. And we know that God's mercy is never far away. 
You know, this is the primary reason that we encourage you to have a daily devotional life. Because when you open up the scriptures and you read a daily devotional and you take time to pray and study, God will reveal His character and His nature to you. He'll tell you more about who He is, who you are, and how He wants you to live your life. And God will strengthen you as you get to know Him better. And so third, Paul writes in his prayer that the eyes of our heart may be opened in order that we may know hope. You know, I love this little concept that the eyes of our heart may be opened to see God's vision for our lives. One of the steps in spiritual formation is growing in our relationship with God in order that we might become in union with God. And when we're in union with God, we can begin to think God's thoughts. We can begin to dream God's dreams. We can begin to see God's vision for ourselves and for others. And when the eyes of our heart are opened, we experience hope and we're able to share that hope with others. I've got to be honest, during this past year, I've been completely overwhelmed by the way that people in our family of faith have shared hope with others in this community. I think about the volunteer at Studio 222 who heard a child talking about the possibility of going to college. And this volunteer went and opened doors that this student would have never been able to open. He's now enrolled in the engineering program at the University of Oklahoma. I think about the teacher in our El Sistema program, a faculty member, who was teaching a music lesson and began to realize that the child taking a lesson didn't have the appropriate clothes, probably not enough food. And that teacher went on his own initiative and bought clothes and food and delivered them to the child's home so that he'd have the most basic of needs met. I think of the family at Rancho Village. They were mentoring a child, and they went to the child's home to help with a computer problem. When they walked in, they found out that the parents and the children were sleeping on the floor. And because of their generosity, those children will sleep on a bed tonight. I think about the family who went to our Honduras mission trip. And when they came home to Oklahoma, they welcomed a young man from Honduras into their own home. They helped him to get an education. He'll be graduating in May, and he'll be going back to his country to transform the lives of others. I think about our Russian mission team there today in Ulyanovsk, Russia. They're there with our brothers and sisters in Christ in our Methodist church to remind them that they are not alone. When we read the scriptures, we begin to see how Jesus' example can change our relationships. Growing closer to God is much like growing closer to a spouse or a a special friend. You know, over time, you start to anticipate one another's needs. You start to think about each other's thoughts. You might even complete one another's sentences. And when we grow in our relationship with God, God opens the eyes of our hearts to see the needs of the world around us. And we can become the extension of God's love by being His hands and feet in a hurting world. You know, in closing this year, I just want to encourage you 
to experience hope by putting your trust and your care in God in 2018. In the mid-1920s, there was a young man named Thomas Chisholm who wrote a poem expressing his assurance that God would give him strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Thomas was a rather ordinary young man. He was born shortly after the Civil War, and he grew up in very humble origins in Kentucky in a log cabin. He lacked much formal education, but he would become a school teacher and later an insurance agent. He had so many health problems. He had to work multiple jobs just to make ends meet. But he was a good Methodist, and he went to his local Methodist church, and he even served as a lay pastor for a year. But then his health would get worse. He really struggled. And he never had very much material success. But he loved to write poems, and he would write over 1,200 poems in his life. More than 800 of them would ultimately be made into songs. Thomas had a deep and abiding faith in God, that God was present in his life and taking care of him. And he wrote this one particular poem as a reflection on the Old Testament, the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. And in it he wrote, he had read about uh, God's mercies being new every day. He read that God's love never wavers. And he read about God's assurance of peace and forgiveness and hope in all the seasons of our lives. Well, he passed the poem along to a friend who put it to music, and he passed it along to another friend named George Beverly Shea. Bev Shea would be singing with Billy Graham at the 1954 Crusades in London, England, and he introduced the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness to the World. Over the next 60 years, he would sing the song in more than 185 countries at 417 different crusades, countless times to over 220 million people. And the church found great hope and assurance in these words. Bev Shea would die in 2013 at the age of 104. But the next year, there was a young man in Kentucky named Jordan Smith. Jordan had grown up in a church family. He had always sung in the choir, and he went to Lee University, where he was a part of the a cappella group, Voices of Lee. He loved to sing gospel hymns. And Jordan was invited to come and to be a part of the new hit show, The Voice. He would go on the show, and he would ultimately win the competition. But in November of 2015, he recorded this song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And it immediately rose to number one on the iTunes music chart. Jordan was being interviewed by all kinds of media outlets. And one in particular was a bit skeptical. And they said to Jordan, well, how exactly has God been faithful to you? And I love what Jordan had to say. His response, how has God not been faithful to me? He's faithful to forgive me and to love me and he's always present in my life. Every time we sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, we share in the words of Thomas Chisholm and join with saints around the world in recognizing the hope that we find in God. We're going to sing the song shortly. 
But I hope that you might take the words home today, put them on your nightstand or maybe tuck them in your planner, pull them out in the coming year and just read them. You'll read that His mercies are new every morning, that His compassion never fails, and that God's forgiveness and peace are yours today. My prayer for you as we enter 2018 together is that God will grant you a spirit of wisdom, that He will reveal Himself to you as you study and you pray and you open your heart and your mind to God, and that He'll open the eyes of your heart to see the new possibilities around you, to see how you can live in a spirit of hope and how you can share that hope with others. God is faithful, and when we put our trust and care in Him, He will give us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. It's in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us each lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.